0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM.
1: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School,
0: this is Help Wanted on Business Radio.
2: Hello, hello, and welcome. You're listening to Help Wanted on Business Radio, where we talk about difficult work situations and how to deal with them. We're so happy to have you with us. I'm your host, Jody Foster, and I'm a clinical professor of psychiatry and the assistant dean of professionalism at the Perelman School of Medicine right here at the University of Pennsylvania and chair of the Department of Psychiatry at Pennsylvania Hospital. I'm here with my co-host, Sean Burke, associate general counsel and employment attorney at the University of Pennsylvania. Hi, Sean. Hey,
1: Jody. Great to have our guests with us today for this special on holiday parties.
2: Absolutely. Coming up on today's show, we are going to talk about the holidays, specifically holiday office parties and when they go South. And we're taking your questions all hour long. Have you made a disastrous faux pas at a holiday party? Did you witness someone else's behavior at an office party and find that you were shocked? What is the etiquette around behavior at a work-related function? We're here for you, and we would love to hear your stories and questions. You can reach us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's one 942 Our phone lines are open. Today, we have two guests in the studio with us, Denise Mariotti is the Chief Human Resources Officer of the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. She has over 30 years of HR leadership with specific expertise in employee relations and workplace etiquette. We also have Todd Ewan, who is co-chair of the Litigation Practice Group at Fisher & Phillips, a nationwide labor and employment firm. Todd is a double Penn grad, college in law, and has been litigating employment law matters for 25 years. We are so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you for having us, please Pleased to be here. So like I said, we're going to talk about the office party. The holidays are coming up. We're all getting invited to a variety of parties, and uh, they should be fun, and they should be something that we're looking forward to, and most of us are. But I think, you know, I heard a statistic this week, Sean. I don't know if it's a real statistic, and so uh, it could just be gossip, but I heard that about... 5,000 people a year lose their jobs over, across this country <laughs> related, <not> right. <laughs> related to the office party, which is just uh, kind of blew my mind. So, you know, let's start to drill down on, on what these parties are and what can go wrong at a party.
1: Well, that statistic is a good lead into my first question, which is the most basic one. Should you go or are you better off not going to the office holiday party at all? Denise or Todd, anybody have any Suggestions?
0: I actually think it's good work practice, right, to go to show up at the office party. You don't have to stay. You don't have to drink. But you should go and thank your host and and make an appearance. Mm -hmm. I think one of the key things to remember um, and – the emphasis is really always on the word office, not the word party. So you just need to remember um, and keep this in a professional
2: right setting. And um, but showing up is important. And Sean, doesn't it send a message if you don't go to your office party? I mean, you know, let's say that you're somebody who's, you know, already kind of uh, not terribly social and then you don't go to the party. Aren't you just sealing it in at that point?
1: I think that's the risk. And you certainly worry that if you don't go to the party, you're going to be Forgotten. Um, In my own case, I used to work for a law firm, and every year the firm—this was not an office party, but every year the firm had a dinner dance event that they called the prom, and you would hear stories about what happened at the prom, and some of them uh, certainly were embarrassing stories. And you would also hear from the partners that everyone was expected to go to the prom, and your standing in the firm was hurt if you didn't go to the prom. Well, I never went, a single time. Um, for various reasons. And I don't think I was ever negatively
3: affected by that. Although I guess if we had some of the members of the firm here, they yeah, could perhaps, perhaps, perhaps correct know. me on that. <laughs> Todd? Yeah, I'll say that uh, with respect to office parties and especially at the management level, I think it's a it's an important thing for the managers to go to the parties to make a showing. Good point. Um, Sean, I know, I know you're a legal career, so I know from where you're coming and in, in terms of uh, – not going as an associate, I can certainly see that maybe being a wise decision for some of the <laughs> yeah. shenanigans that go on at office parties, especially in law firms at the associate level. So yeah.
2: let's get to the shenanigans. Um, Todd, in, in your experience, what's what's the worst thing someone, you know, can do, you know, commonly does at an office party?
3: Well, in thinking about today's show, it was, everything in terms of office party issues seems to be alcohol related, that in terms of creating problems. And the you know, I can cite a number of examples, but the, the one I'll definitely cite is uh, an associate at a law firm who was dancing a little too intimately with a uh, female co-worker and then whose wife showed up at the party. Mm. And um, he ended up keeping his job, but he didn't keep the marriage. And so that was sort of, you know, classic uh Probably uh, a bad not necessarily professional faux pas, but certainly personal. and
2: you're faux pas. saying that, that, that his threshold was lower because he was drinking or I mean, because I, I would I would also argue that that's going to be a problem regardless of whether alcohol's involved in the picture or not, right
3: It certainly could be in, in having actually known this person, it was definitely because of the alcohol that mm. his ambitions were lowered.
2: Mm-mm-mm. What about you, Denise?
0: Well, I always just like to say um, no one wakes up the next day and says, "Wow, I'm really glad I did shots at the office." <laughs> <laughs> party last night. Um, it really um, does impact behavior and inhibition, and it's probably not the person that you want your co-workers to see. Right,
2: right. I imagine that if you drink too much at one of these parties, the, you might find yourself the butt of rumors about being, you know, having an alcoholism problem. Um, I also think that, you know, when you're Uh, uh, intoxicated. Your threshold's lower, so your threshold for getting angry or acting out in in some way that's not even necessarily just being too intimate. It can be a real problem. Are more companies doing alcohol-free events these days, do you think?
1: Not to my knowledge, actually. You you would think think that there would be, but I'm not aware of one. It seems like alcohol is always present at the parties.
3: Yeah, I haven't, I've gotten calls about that, um, asking about uh, whether or not they should include alcohol. They always seem to want to include alcohol, and I have heard very, very few parties where they are excluding alcohol at this point.
1: Actually, I, I will. I will just qualify what I said a second ago in one way, which is that I know that some offices have switched to lunch events, and at lunch events, there's no alcohol. And sometimes at a holiday lunch, you might have co-workers bring in food. We've done that in our own office, actually. We've switched away from an evening party, which would always have alcohol, to a lunchtime party.
2: Listeners, let us know your thoughts on holiday parties and mistakes that are being made and what, what your companies are doing to celebrate. Call us at 844 That's 844 844- Wharton. It seems funny. I mean, you know, it, the alcohol seems to be the thing, or one of the main things that gets people into trouble. And yet, the idea of having an alcohol-free party is seems like everybody's mm-hmm. like, "Oh no, we would right. never do that." And yet, and yet, it's like the 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 nitus of a lot of this, right?
0: I think one of the things that people need to also remember is just because the boss or the manager is drinking heavily at the party doesn't give everyone else permission or you shouldn't think it's a good idea to follow suit. Um, I wonder if sometimes there
2: feels like pressure to follow suit if the... Exactly.
0: Um, But you can nurse a drink all night or have a soda or you don't don't have to feel that. It is tempting
1: sometimes, though, to think that one is always safe if you're not... As the saying goes, the slowest gazelle, not the one that's going to be caught by the lion. If you're the one who's not the most embarrassing person acting out at the party, are you safe? Um, you, you probably should. That's probably not the benchmark, though.
3: I'm going to say no.
2: <laughs> Interesting.
1: So I have another question about how to conduct yourself at a party. If you just want to get credit for being there and you're not going to do anything too risky, when do you go? Do you go early and leave early? Or do you go late and stay late? Denise, you're I don't
0: know if there's a hard, fast rule, but I do think showing up early before everyone may or may not be inebriated, making sure people see you, that you acknowledge the host, um, and and saying hello to people when they actually can remember that you were there is probably the best strategy in my mind.
1: I agree. And I think, you know, especially with something like a retirement party, which may have nothing to do with the holidays, you want to go, you want to be seen, you want to... Uh, say your th- expression of gratitude or thanks to the person who's retiring. Go early and stay for the speeches, and then after that, you can leave. That's a pretty clear guideline uh, in that right. setting.
2: It's good advice. Obviously, uh, the people who are taking this advice are likely not the ones who are going to get into into the kind of trouble that we're talking about. Right. The um, uh, you just reminded me about a uh, retirement party I heard about where um, the uh, one of the leaders decided that it was a good idea to hire a stripper. What year to, is this? To celebrate. This is uh, <laughs> surprisingly not too many years ago, but thought it was a great idea to have a, you know, a stripper do all sorts of things to celebrate the retirement, and um, as you can imagine, a lot of people found that distasteful. And uh, was... it's, just,
1: it's just a case of astounding misjudgment. <laughs> I remember, and it was probably 22 years ago now, I interviewed at a law firm in New York, and I won't say which firm it was. The firm had recently uh, been the um, subject of a scandal in the press because it was reported that they had taken out their summer associates to a strip club at the end of an outing night. And and it was discussed during one of the interviews I had during a lunch with members of this firm. And one of them looked at me and said, Sean, you wouldn't raise an issue if we took associates to a strip club, would you? <laughs> and you think, you know, this is 22 years ago. It was, it was astonishingly stupid question. How did you answer? Even then. <laughs> i don't recall I probably <laughs> mumbled something anyway. I did not end up at that firm
2: so um is it a is it a good idea to uh save your the thing you've been wanting to ask your boss or your colleague for the holiday party like oh,
1: this is a great question
2: yeah is it is it is it uh the right time to say you know i really i I'm due for a raise um, so maybe I'll bring it up with my boss at the holiday party, Todd, what do you think of that?
3: Well, I mean I think the initial answer's gotta be no, although of course I would play everything by year, but you can't go into those kinds of situations where it's a celebration and you're looking to to look back on the year and, and celebrate it and, and it's just not the right time from a professional point of view to, to make that kind of ask if that's what you're looking for.
2: But it is true that a lot of people um look forward to these parties because they you know, there's a uh, because of the boundary of the office is gone right. that, that maybe it's an opportunity to say things that you can't say in the office setting, ask for things, have exchanges that you otherwise wouldn't, is it always a bad idea? Or does it in fact, you know, break down some boundaries? Is it is it, you know, a version of the golf course?
0: Again, I would say, Who initiates the conversation? If the boss is initiating a conversation about work and sort of opens the door for you to have that dialogue, I think that's great. But you shouldn't be the person initiating the conversation at the office uh, cocktail party or holiday party.
1: Yeah, I I agree. Um, This is actually uh, a a good opportunity to ask a question that I had, too, about boundaries. It does seem like in the holiday party setting there's an opportunity to change boundaries, maybe even for, like, role reversals at at some point. Some companies and firms I know have something of a tradition where there's roasts or skits that Mm -hmm. are performed by subordinates of partners— Bad idea always, or
3: is this ever a good idea?
2: Such a slippery slope. Oh my God.
3: I'm looking at Denise Shakerhead and I have to agree. <laughs> uh, I think skits at, at, at that kind of party are. are just rife with potential problems. And uh, again, you know, I don't want to be the wet blanket as as the attorney being giving advice with respect to employers on these kinds of situations. But skits would would kind of terrify me. I think
1: skits are, yeah, skits are bad ideas. I, I think about the anxiety of Napoleon Dynamite when he learns that he has to perform a skit as part of the uh, class president elections. But what Flip about what
2: about a gentle, what you know, what is termed a gentle roast? You know, whatever that means. Yeah, so, I yeah.
0: think, <laughs> you know, a roast, typically the jokes are um, very few people really know the inside jokes. Mm-hmm. And so it truly, again, depends on the breadth of your audience. So it can right? exclude it people. It could really exclude yeah. people right. or it could highlight something in a different light about right. a leader or a manager that people take out of context and it becomes absolutely
2: and if you're someone who's sort of uh, at baseline kind of a, a unconsciously hostile person and what you think is a gentle roast ends up being absolutely a barb yes. uh, compared to somebody who's who's kind of truly gentle in the approach yeah mm-hmm. That's great. well
1: beyond just the subjective um, differences in the way that people look at roasts has the culture in the workplace changed so that what's permissible, or what was permissible ten or twenty years ago is really not permissible anymore. Is that Denise? Is not a yes. What do well, you think? Well, I
0: think we live in such a highly sensitive world right now. Right, we all have to be careful about what we say and who we say right. it to. And I think right. we've become hypersensitive that we actually um, run even a greater risk of offending people with things that were not intentionally meant to be.
2: So, offensive. how do you navigate these? The you know the the appearance of lighter boundaries, looser boundaries in a work or quasi-work setting and yet, you know, being subject to everything you just said. You know, how do you how do you have fun at these things?
1: That's the that's the question. That's
2: the trick, <laughs> right? <laughs> Frankly,
1: I think the answer is you probably don't. Probably save most your of fun the time. for something else. Save your fun for something else, save your sense of humor for something else, ask your coworkers how their kids are doing in school. That's a sure Way to get them talking. This is sounding like
2: a pretty boring <laughs> holiday party, though. This is this is.
1: Yeah. Well,
3: you're you're mitigating your risk, Todd. What do you think? Yeah. Is yeah. there? Well, again, you know, being the employment attorney on the on the panel here, <laughs> in addition to Sean, I, you know, I'm all about mitigating the risk, and uh, obviously there's a balance that we have to strike, and and employers have to strike in terms of figuring out what they want to do with respect to allowing sort of looser boundaries, while at the same time not subjecting the company or the entity to too much risk. Um, it's a, it's a tough line to walk, and right. we have that conversation a lot. Right.
0: And again, it's called a party, but it's really the time for you to show the office your best self, whether that's your inside office self or who you are a little bit outside of work, but it's really an opportunity to
2: be the best. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Interesting perspective. <laughs> I like that. In case you're just tuning in, this is Help Wanted on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Jody Foster, along with my co-host, Sean Burke. And today we're talking about office party horror stories and general work social function etiquette. If you have a question for us, please give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Our phone lines are open. And if you have a case that you'd prefer to email in, you can write to us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com, and we'll cover your case on the next show. So... Again, how do we have fun in this in this new era? Because I, I do think you can still have I, I do believe that you can still have fun without being, you know, intoxicated or sexually inappropriate. I think, <laughs> I, think I think that fun is still an option. And so, right. you know, I think, you know, if you're in a, a great work environment, you're having fun during the day anyway. And right. being at a party could be an opportunity to just have more fun of of the same kind, you know, with those same people. Right.
1: Yeah. So, well, yeah. Denise, have you been to a party that was fun?
0: Um, <laughs> yes, I think all parties are fun. But, uh, you know, oh, I not all of them. That's not well, the case. Well, you make it fun. I mean, really okay. having conversations with people that at, that you work with that you normally would not be able to have or you wouldn't have in the course of a regular day, I think just opens um, opportunity to build teams, build relationships. And again, it's an office party so um i think those opportunities really are 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 fun
1: give us an example of a setting that produced a fun party
0: um you know we do typically a dinner um with our our team a, a dinner at a lovely restaurant we invite spouses which that also adds an opportunity for you to get to know people on a more intimate basis right although i do caution um What your spouse or your date wears or how they act at the party also can have a a bad impact versus, you know, a positive impact. But I think um, creating an atmosphere that is a little bit more formal that doesn't allow the opportunity to get so crazy is probably um, where you could have some fun, but keep it professional,
2: keep it in the office Speech. We're talking to Denise Mariotti, the chief HR officer of the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania and Todd Ewan, co-chair of the Litigation Practice Group at Fisher and Phillips. Give us a call 1-844-942-7866 844 Wharton. That's an interesting topic, spouses and partners at a party. So, I can tell you uh my big brother, uh who is a very buttoned-down uh army colonel, um at the he was a uh, wow. Yeah, he was uh, a, an attorney at the Pentagon at the jug, jug, Judge Advocate General Corps, and he had a wife who looked absolutely not like his match, <laughs> and kind of an unplugged looking, um, adorable person. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it blew people away when he would bring him to her to parties, and uh, and it caused a lot of discussion. What what is the impact of? of bringing your spouse and what it says about you. And again, these are all little hints to you are more about you than might be available in the office.
3: Yeah. Uh, so it's, it, that's, that's really interesting in the way you, you frame that. I from my perspective, I look at spouses as being sort of a calming influence with respect to a party. Um, depends but on the spouse. That's, that's, <laughs> that's absolutely true. Certainly uh, in my experience, it's generally a calming yeah. influence on the, at least on the employee. Uh, But you're right. With respect to how it reflects on you, I think that's very interesting. Um, And I I don't think I would let that change my perspective of of having spouses at parties. Sure. I think that's a good generally a common influence.
2: You know where this is coming from? When I was in my psychiatry residency uh, training, I remember an entire lecture on the impact of having a can of Coca-Cola in your office, that you were letting letting the client know that you were a Coca-Cola drinker, and that was something about you. And I think this is kind of what we're talking about as, as we bring our spouses, or as we bring our less, you know, significantly boundaried self, we're letting people know more about ourselves and who we are, and that has impact. And is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? I think it depends, right? I think it brings
0: up an interesting concept about boundaries and working, you know, how you work in the office and what you let people know and what you want people to know. I can personally tell you, I never bring my husband anywhere. Um, I hope, Peter, I hope you're listening, but it has nothing to do with him. But I view I think he's still in
2: the basement. He may yeah, not hear you. He may it. not hear
0: me. I view these <laughs> these after after work functions as an opportunity for me to engage with with coworkers whom I might not uh, not otherwise have the opportunity to really have an intimate conversation with, mm-hmm. and so worrying about. Him? Is he having fun? Is he right. talking? Or people talk? You know, is a distraction that, for me personally, um, I just, I just have cho- chosen and to avoid. And it's also an
2: opportunity for you to sort of uh, display your own identity outside of the diet, exactly. which, which for some, and he people- is a great guy. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but um, I you know.
1: <laughs> you. I
2: believe you. <laughs> anyway, all right. So, what about? So here is something that. that This has driven me personally crazy. What about the function that's not a work function, but everyone from work is there? Like, what are the, you know, let's say something happens at something like that. I'm going to a wedding, I'm going to a bar mitzvah, and it's not sponsored in any way by the institution or the office, but everyone's there from work. Am I responsible in the same way? There's a way
3: in which you may be potentially responsible. Todd, I'll let you answer first. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's definitely a way in which you you can't be responsible. I mean, my need we, again, as I joked with you all before, you know, the, my general answer as an attorney is it depends. Um, but it was something that that uh, I would we would definitely have to look into to, based on the facts of the situation. Um, when you're around work people, I you know tend to to want to advise people just to be very careful about the way you conduct yourself um, he, here's and the, the way you come back.
1: Yeah, I agree. Here's the way that I would put it. The job is not responsible for what happens in the moment at that event that is not a work-sponsored event. But if something happens at that event, the job may be responsible for reacting to it, right? If there's some inappropriate interaction between two people who work together at that Saturday night at the wedding and the supervisor is not there to see it but learns about it on Monday morning and those two people have to continue to work together, the supervisor may need to do something to address the fact that these people are not going to be able to work together in the same way.
0: Yeah, and um, let's not forget social media adds a whole nother level of complexity right. and element to what happens yes. at events that are not, you know, work sanctioned functions. So,
2: so is it fair to say? And I'm saying this because this is what I have come to uh, uh, believe for myself that we are always at work.
1: Yeah, you are always at work nowadays. Yeah, I mean, it's you're not, and it's, and uh, I actually think this is an unpleasant development of modern life. Mm-hmm. And I'm generally an optimist, but I'm pessimistic about this particular point. You are always at work in the sense that if you do something that's outrageous enough that it's and it gets recorded in some way, whether by video or audio or posted to the Web and then circulates, it can affect your standing in your job in a way that 20 years ago would not have been the case before the Internet, before the ubiquity of cell phones that can record audio and video. It really is true.
2: So how do we get away from work? How do we escape work? Where is the safe spot anymore where we can, you know, be completely without fear of repercussion for, you know, what we're thinking, doing, acting? Well, where is that place? It's
1: not at the office party, but where, that, is, there, that, that is, true. is there such a place?
2: <laughs> Interestingly, I have found that place to be an escape room with my 13-year-old son. <laughs> okay. Actually, for that hour, I right. can't do anything except yeah. do that thing. And I guess I would uh, recommend to people that you find those things where you're literally forced to not have access to your devices, right. to, and where, you know, what you're doing is, you know, perfectly fine. I mean, obviously not doing right. anything objectionable in an escape room. And, you know, and and those are the ways we have to escape now. Vacation doesn't count anymore. I mean, I get contacted all the time escape. on vacation. Yeah. Right,
1: I'll give you one example. It's random and it's far away. Paisley Park, where Prince lived and recorded. When you go to this place, which is now a museum, they take your cell phone and they put it in a box. Hmm. And, and, and I thought, this is odd, but actually I realized halfway through the tour... It's great because otherwise people would do nothing but take pictures of the various things on the walls and you'd never get to see them. Right. That's one random example. Oh, it's yeah. a good example. They but s-
0: They say what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but that no doesn't seem to be uh, true anymore. <laughs> and the ramifications of what you choose to do in public always can have either a positive or negative impact on your, your work environment yeah. and how you are seen and viewed as an employee.
2: Denise, you mentioned social media um, a few moments ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm thinking about after the party, when everyone goes home to post the pictures and to post, um, you know, their thoughts about the party. That's another huge area of, of kind of complexity, too, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And people
0: post everything. You know, as the mother of two millennials, I can tell you. They post every meal. They post every friend. They post every party. Um, and who's
2: interested in their meals? Them, they are. <laughs> who's who's looking?
1: People on Instagram, apparently. But some of this is, is the technology. With a digital camera, you don't have any limit on the number of photos you can take. And then when you go to upload them to the web, it's much easier to upload all of them rather than to select certain ones. And so inevitably, pictures get posted online. That the taker or the person depicted would rather be left unseen.
2: And isn't it true, um, uh, well, actually for all three of you, that if you um, post something online and you happen to be wearing the you know, company logo while you're kind of talking about whatever you're talking about, you're even that much more liable for, for what you are talking about?
1: I think the answer is yes. I I don't think it's necessarily that if you wear the logo, you're liable. And if you don't wear the logo, you're not. Because certainly there are instances we can point to that have been reported in the press in which someone had done something having nothing to do with their job and not even acting as a representative of their employer, and they still lost their job because of it after attention uh, increased. But yes, if you're wearing a company brand or logo, a company has a greater legitimate, I think, interest in what you're doing, because you're explicitly signaling that you are a representative of this
3: company right Todd, yeah that, that's exactly with certain platforms if you identify yourself as an employee of that of that company that could be a big issue with respect to what you're saying and you know without uh, potentially discounting your views as not being related to the company or endorsed by the company right hmm. right
2: what about going home from the party what about what about let's share an uber what about I'm gonna drive you home and I've had, you know, been at the keg the entire evening. (laughs) What about all of that? Let's talk about ride share for a minute, right? A
0: very popular way for people to get home from the party. Ride sharing, Uber, Lyft, and inebriation probably don't mix when you're with a group of people who you normally don't spend a lot of after-hours time with. So I caution people, be careful. Things happen in the back of cars all the time. And how does that relate back to the workplace People taking pictures, all of the things Mm. that we've talked about, but it really can put you in a situation that uh, can be dicey. Todd, do you have
2: any feelings about that?
3: Yeah, leaving the party where there's been alcohol served is really a dicey issue because you don't necessarily want people getting into their car who have have had drinks (plural). Um, You know, it potentially involves the the concept of drink tickets for a party. Uh, I know I've seen different employers staying away from hard alcohol, hard liquor at a party and so, so even fruity drinks because they go down too easily but <laughs> but in terms of leaving the party that that's you know some employers do like to provide uber or lyft or whatever it may be or right. a car service to make sure that the employees get home safely um but denise is absolutely right that's that's a, a dicey situation potentially when you're putting a couple of people who have had you know maybe some too many drinks and into the back of a car
2: so again we're probably worrying about you know Getting into arguments and also some sexual acting out, and is that the the primary thing that we're concerned about in in that ride share?
3: I think so. That's the primary thing I'm worried about. <laughs>
2: That's the <a> primary
1: <laughs> thing Todd's worried about with his clients. It's not quite as bad as one story I heard, in which, and this was not related to an office party. A number of coworkers went to a convention together, and the budget was less than they thought it would be, and so they booked people into the same hotel rooms, and actually booked a male employee and a female employee in the same hotel room, oh, wow. which is breathtakingly stupid. If the budget doesn't permit separate <laughs> hotel rooms for each person who goes on the trip, you should cancel the trip. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's some risks associated with piling <laughs> into the rideshare together.
2: Huh. So what about, what about touching? Like what is inappropriate touching at a party? Can you I, – I mean – Obviously, we hear a lot about don't you know, don't don't uh, put your arm around your employee and whatever uh, during the workday. But what about at the party?
3: That sounds as my head exploding. <laughs> 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 oh, look okay, at Denise is violently shaking her head. Yes, uh, touching is uh, in in the employment environment just generally. I want to say never off I, limits. Right, any, I, any touching. Well I look, I mean I know there are you know that the, the people who fight with, you know, someone's sharing good news and they wanna, you know, share a hug and, and but you know, we have a case right now I can tell you where, where the hug on one on one side was considered consensual on the other side, now it's not. Yeah. So yeah. it's I prefer as an employment attorney that people not touch each other
2: i'm so glad i was raised in new york city because i i simply have no urge to hug anybody <laughs> so i don't get into this kind of trouble so that's good what what about the like dancing too close denise yeah, what do you have to say um, about that i
0: say don't do it again <laughs> uh you know there's all kinds of examples that we could bring up um the office worker who plays santa claus at the office party mm. and wants everyone to you know share their uh, wishes and sit on his lap. Oh, and, boy. you know, there's all kinds of crazy. Yeah. And it sounds crazy, but it happens. And it happens in an environment today where we are aware of all of these things, but it still happens. And so avoiding touching, I will <laughs> support exactly what Todd said, <laughs> at all costs is probably best. All right. Yeah. Well, that's fair.
2: Mm-hmm. So what about just the uh, the concept of the hierarchy, the boundary of the hierarchy at a party? I mean, again, just like um I mentioned earlier, some people think about oh well i'll ask I'll ask my boss this question at the party because it's a sort of a different set of rules, and right. maybe not for a raise, but I'll ask you know I'll ask my boss this, that, or the other thing, or I'll ask my coworker what are there ramifications for disrespecting the hierarchy when you're at a party?
1: I think you probably get a little more leeway at the party. This is one of the things that's appealing about the party is that you feel as if you can make a connection. And, Jody, you mentioned the golf course. This is the, the rumor of the golf course. I've played in my life 27 holes of golf, so I've never had this experience. But the, the feeling is that you can make a connection with someone that you might not otherwise have been able to do in the off, office setting. And so give it a shot. But, you know, you're taking on a little bit of a risk when you do that. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would ask for a raise. But you should be able to have a personal conversation.
0: I think personal conversations are fine. Leveraging your boss's inebriation for, you know, your own (laughs) purposes is probably not
2: a really great idea. And why would you think
1: she or he would remember it, even if you did? Mm. Do you think that you've actually accomplished anything if if they're intoxicated?
2: Well, I guess you could present it with them on Monday and and then have a a he said, she said over what happened, right? Right. And again, I think my rule is about cues. If your boss... You know, broaches a work
0: conversation, I think it's okay then to proceed down that path. But right. I think you have to take cues from the leadership at the party or the hosts yeah. of the party to know what may
2: or may not be appropriate. All right, so let's move on to gift giving, mm. secret Santas, right. and things like that, right? So, how do you choose a gift for someone you hardly know? Um, how do you make sure it's a thoughtful gift but not too personal a gift how do you know it's uh, an appropriate gift and what if you don't want it you know what if you're an introvert and you don't want to be part of this what do you what it, what about all that stuff who wants to go first i can this? give a
1: piece of concrete advice give them something that would go on their desk anything that you can put on your desk huh. like something nice looking that holds pencils or pens that's going to be a fine gift uh beyond that uh I'm not sure
3: I have other ideas, Todd. Uh, I was thinking along the lines of a coffee mug. So sure. I'm right there with mm-hmm. you in terms of uh, sort of unoffensive gifts. Uh, uh, if you're the introvert, that's the really interesting question. Um, and I don't think it should be compulsory for people to to be partake in these things. Because and, right. and, then you start getting into the The employer forcing an employee to do something that's that right. against his or her will. So if it, if there's an introvert that doesn't want to participate, let them But again, them there's the out.
2: social pressure, you there's know, the, the person who doesn't want to go Sorry. to the party, the person who doesn't want to participate in the Secret Santa. You know, it, it could be driven by shyness or anxiety, but it could look like, you know, I don't want to play in your sandbox. And it could really put people off, which could be a problem. I think the social
0: pres- pressures are really difficult. And as, um, you know, managers and leaders, they should probably think about – Avoiding that, so you're not putting people in a situation where they feel vulnerable or pressured or um, harassed. So, um, you know, I just think, why, why do you need a coffee mug from your
2: coworker? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so,
3: because I give the best coffee mugs. Yeah, bet I bet you do. <laughs>
2: so, you're saying best not to have secret Santas I in think, the. I don't yeah. know the point. So, okay. No Secret Santas, no this, that, or the other thing. What should we do to celebrate the holidays? What is the right thing to do?
1: Yeah, and if I may, before we even get to the answer to that question, there's a risk associated with doing away with all these things. And I don't mean risk in the legal sense. I mean some loss of enjoyment of life, right? And it's, um, you know, we don't really like to admit this, but there actually are some positive aspects of things that are like hazing, if they are safe, which is that people come together as a group. They have stronger connections as a social unit. Mm -hmm. If we do away with all these things, we lose that. And I think it's really hard, especially nowadays, it seems. Hopefully I'm not just uh, aging too quickly, but it really seems nowadays like it's hard to find where the balance should be struck between doing away with these things that might have the positive effect of bringing people together, but also at the same time maybe not being completely inclusive or risking alienating someone. And the tendency is to just say, let's not do any of this stuff. And actually, I even started out this conversation by thinking, boy, should you even go to the party? Maybe you're safer not going to the party. But, but you do miss out on some things if we, if we uh, are always risk averse. So where's the balance? Right. Maybe that's what you're asking.
2: Yeah, it is. Listeners, let us know what you think. 844-942-7866. That's 844 Wharton. I think you asked the question uh, to me earlier before the show, Sean, about like what is it that makes us sort of want to be seen in a different a little bit of a right. different way. Um, and yet it's, it's rife with all these perils. You know, what what drives us to do it uh, even though it sounds like the better part of valor is to just sort of keep your hands in your pockets and sit in the corner. I mean, what, what is that? Anyone have any thoughts about that? Denise? I mean, I think it's what makes
0: humans humans, right? If everybody was like us or thought like us, the world would be very boring. I think putting it in context and people understanding professional environments and boundaries comes with a level of maturity. And we're also mature in this room that we sort of understand that. But when you think about the different generations that you work with um, really helping them to understand it's i think true. is more of the obligation than actually saying they're terrible because they acted in, in a certain way we have to be cognizant of of what the boundaries are that we want to set and being aware of what people may or may not understand from a social context
2: that's absolutely true I, i'm very glad we're not having this conversation you know 30 years my junior because mm-hmm. i would Uh, have very different perspective on all of this and yeah I think you're right a lot of this is developmental and a lot of it is is sort of learned from and I do think that as people to your earlier point we do want to be known and we want to be seen and you know uh, I've always said that um, the best way to get to know somebody is to simply shut your mouth and let them talk because people really do love to just hand themselves over to you on a silver platter and it's not because they're gullible or, or or stupid. It's because we want to be known and we right. want to be seen.
1: Right. To varying degrees. I mean, this is one of the things that some of our guests over the past few weeks have emphasized to us. The notion that bring your whole self to work, which I think is sort of a problematic notion for some of the reasons we discussed, But but it's very appealing to say bring your whole self to work because people will appreciate their workplace more when they feel that they're being known mm-hmm. and they gain dignity from that, which... Um, Kim Scott talked with us about last time um, and uh, yeah there's a lot of reasons people people want to do that
3: to your to your question about to so why go to the party I think Denise said something earlier that's really helpful I mean hopefully we're all going to work with people that we like right. I know I am hopefully everyone else is <laughs> and to see them in an environment outside the workplace where they're not necessarily the pressures of work and you can all you know kick back have some food. drink or two or whatever it may be, but you're not in that environment where it's necessarily the pressure of the workplace or the pressure cooker, whatever Mm -hmm. it may be for each individual. To me, that's one of the reasons, you know, I like office parties is to see these people outside and to be able to socialize and develop a deeper connection uh, with them.
2: I mean, when you think about it, we spend so much time with the people at work. We spend so much, really probably more time with our you know, colleagues at work than we necessarily do at home. It's so funny, these relationships, because we spend all this time with the office people, but our relationships are not intimate, and we spend less time conceivably, with the people at home, but they are intimate, so we have a whole set of rules for those relationships and a whole set of rules for the office relationships, and near the two shall meet, and it, it can be kind of confusing, can't it? I think so. I
0: also think um, we need to remember that the holidays aren't necessarily a happy time for everyone, right? and we make That's that true. assumption as we go to these parties because we don't necessarily know what baggage or people have or what people are bringing with them to work or leaving at home. And so it's not a joyful time necessarily for everyone. And so that becomes part of the milieu of all of this, you know,
2: social context. That's a really, really good point. This is Help Wanted on Business Radio Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Jody Foster, along with my co-host, Sean Burke. Today we're talking about the perils of the office holiday party with Denise Mariotti and Todd Iwan. If you have a question for us or for our guests, please give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. So, Denise, you bring up a really good point about that the holidays have different meanings and different uh, uh, sets of feelings for different people. What do we do with that? I mean, how, do we, how do, we, uh, do we suss that out? Do we determine whether the holidays are trigger points for people before we do certain things? How do, how do we approach that very question? Todd or Sean, do you have any thoughts about that? It's a tough one.
1: It is a tough one. I think think my first answer is that I'm probably not personally well-equipped to suss that out. But I think that what my inclination would be would be to just try to be welcoming to everyone who is invited to the party and encourage everyone to be there. I actually think that it doesn't matter so much exactly what takes place at the party, provided that you don't cross some of these boundaries we've been talking about. So long as there's a connection, visual connection, maybe a handshake, a smile, that can mean a lot to people. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really not even what gets communicated, the substance of what, what gets communicated. I'm thinking to some conversations that I have. I see people on campus, and we say sometimes... Literally nothing sensible at all. But when I see them, it's a gratifying encounter to be seen by someone and to see someone yes. that you don't see very often. Yeah, that is something that really enhances your overall sense of well-being, and I think the social science backs that up.
2: Oh, I think you're absolutely right. I'm thinking about all of the, uh, the people who come back from parties and say, you know, oh, so and so said hello to me, you know, and it has right. such meaning because that person they, that they knew my name, this, that, or the other thing. You're right. Right.
3: Right. And and I uh, I'm sure Denise would echo this, but in terms of having the managers or the supervisors who are in a position to, to potentially know of issues with their subordinates, yep. um, you know, maybe have them be a little bit more sensitive and, yeah. and seek the person out during the party and then you know
0: and not everyone's yeah. intuitive to that right, right. Not yes, everyone right. gets that. Right. So being the person who can go up to your boss and say, hey, did you know that Jody, whatever. Um, I think they often appreciate getting that. It doesn't have to be the detailed, intimate you're information, right. but just saying, hey, you." they want their party to be successful. So right. how to include people or how to acknowledge that or understand why someone's maybe not participating, I think is helpful.
2: Yep. Yeah, you're right. What about on a different topic, accepting of gifts? Mm. That's another thing. I mean, have you ever been presented with a gift and felt very awkward about what it was or, <laughs> um, you know, what it meant or was Are it Are we talking just or... about the workplace? We... i
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would say a workplace gift should almost always be accepted with a smile and a thank you and then...
2: Well, what if, you know, what if it's a car?
1: Oh, well, I mean, then maybe you're being presented with something that creates a conflict of interest or some in- improper business <laughs> transaction. You should never accept a gift from a counterparty to the transaction that you are responsible for negotiating on whoa, behalf of your is, boss. Whoa, what,
2: what does that mean? What did you just say? <laughs> Illegally. Whoa, someone just changed language here. Well,
1: imagine if you're in charge of a, of a sale transaction on behalf of your company and the person that you're negotiating against says, after we're done with this, I'll give you a gift. You should absolutely not accept that gift. That is puts you in a compromising position. Now, that's not a holiday situation, but if we're asking in general, that's one situation I can think of where you should not accept a gift.
0: I mean, when you go to a party, typically, if you have good manners, I think you bring a host or a hostess gift. But is that appropriate in the workplace when your manager is actually, um, you know, hosting the party? Probably not necessary, right? Mm-hmm. And it might even be awkward right. to give the boss a present at the party yeah. when no one else is giving them a present. Well, so. that's
1: an awkward question. It, 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 that is an awkward scenario. But if it's a party being hosted at their home, as long as you're not aware that they're recovering alcoholic a bottle of wine is usually a safe bet. I would agree. Right? Okay. Um, I have a question that's broader than just office holiday parties. Uh-oh. Here it no, comes. it's okay. It's I I hope it's okay. I think it's I think it's an important question actually. Many workplaces strive to foster work-life balance. And they also strive at the same time to foster morale. And morale is sometimes thought of something that can be enhanced by increasing the number of activities that involve employees. But when do you go too far? How many activities is a good thing to schedule so that you can increase morale? But at what point does it become oppressive and people say, look, I just want to go home and take care of my kids.
2: I want to see my spouse, right? Denise, I bet you have some answers to this because of your
0: HR work. Well, work-life balance is probably the number one priority for people, really. If you ask about pay or benefits or It's, I want to be home with my kids. I I want to do a good job when I'm here, but I I, want to go home when I want to go home. And so I think... um, Offering, a, you mentioned lunch earlier, Sean. So right. lunch is during the workday, right? Mm-hmm. That feels like a gift to people. Right. right. When do we go to lunch, first of all? Rarely. We're all eating at our desks these days. So getting people out during the workday gives them one or two hours of off time, but as opposed to scheduling something at night or scheduling something on weekends that encroaches into their Personal
2: time. Well, of course, the problem though is that they're going to say, "Well, if I have this, you know, big extended lunch in the workday, then I'm losing productivity, and I really can't do that. So right. let's do it at night. And by the way, mm-hmm. yeah, find a babysitter because you can't go home tonight because right. I expect you there. Right? It's, it's really tough. <laughs>
0: it is tough,
2: yeah. I, and it depends on your business as well. If you run a nursing
0: unit, you certainly all can't go out to lunch in the middle no. of, right. of, of right. the shift. Right. But right. you know, there may yeah. be other situations that where it is a, appropriate or makes better sense. But work-life balance is definitely uh, uh, something that you should consider when planning these
2: things. Todd, are are there limits from an employment standpoint to how much you can expect of an employee in this regard? Like, you know, you have to have fun with me. You have to, <laughs> you have to, you know, uh, do this this thing with me because we're we're building our team and and it's nights and weekends and whatever it is.
3: So, without getting into. Too much of the, too many of the weeds with respect to comp issues and pay issues. There, there's certainly a pay issue if they're required to be there right. at an event. Um, so there's that component. Uh, in terms of you know to to the question Sean posed and what I was you know initially thinking is uh, uh, again it depends. A lot of it's going to be based on the workplace and and what the what the environment is at that workplace. And you know there may be some workplaces where. Hours and hours and hours of, of employee activity is exactly what everybody wants, um, but not for others. But if, from a legal perspective, I, I, to me, it really comes back to the to work, to the, to the pay issue.
2: Right.
1: You have to avoid a required event for individuals who are, well, you don't have to avoid it, but you have to recognize that if you have an event that's required and individuals are hourly paid, you're going to have to pay them for that time, right? Yeah. And that's, so that's a piece of concrete legal advice we can give to so people. So if you <laughs> require
2: the holiday party, you have to pay people for it?
1: Yeah, you would. Yeah. If and requiring you
2: the holiday now, you're not party re- sounds <laughs> a little <laughs> bit...
1: Well, I mean, that would be incongruous, but think about a situation where people do some, or employers do sometimes require what might be considered off-duty stuff, the retreat. Right. Sometimes mm-hmm. retreats right. are things right. that people are expected to attend. You're going to have to pay the hourly employee to go to the retreat, right?
3: Yeah. So they're they're, they're definitely you know like I said I didn't want to necessarily get in the weeds on this, but there's some there are pay issues with respect to whether or not they're required a requirements. Obviously, a huge part of it. But then in terms of what's happening and what and is there any benefit to the employer? Yeah. Um, so there's it's not. You know, necessarily black and white with respect to the answer to your question, but it's it's certainly an issue you have to consider as an you employer be, whether or not they're going to be pay. Yeah. yeah, right,
1: right. Do retreats work, Jody? <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's such an such unfair a question, loaded question. I mean, you know, again for team building, I think retreats work. But you know, if it's a retreat, that's like, I, so my experience with uh, a quote unquote retreat might be for. um Disruptive behavior because just right. this is just what I know about, yeah. and you know. So there are a number of, of uh, programs that say, "Okay, you're 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 behaving in this way, and it's it's a problem in the office. Right. So I'm gonna." You know, send you somewhere for a weekend so that you can learn what's driving your behavior, and and you can learn what's kind of uh, making you act this way, and you can pledge not to to do that again
1: while you're on this vacation, oh, oh,
2: while you're <laughs> while, right, while you're in this retreat setting. And you know, it as as I've always said, it takes a lifetime for us to develop our personalities, and it it's not gonna you're not overnight gonna stop yeah. doing the thing you do, even if it makes sense in the moment. It you can't bank on aha moments for people where you suddenly truly internalize a concept just because it was presented to you in just the right way at just the right moment. That may be true for some people, but for most of us, we might have a retreat and say, wow, I really, I, I, I mean, another great example might be like kind of healthy eating or something. Oh, I, I've learned that. I'm going to do this thing. And, right. you know, then you're presented with your next cheesesteak and, and all those <laughs> learnings just kind of Go out the door. Mm-hmm. Does, does anyone here think retreats work?
0: I've been at some retreats that actually work. For what? what um, you know, team building kinds of things. Trust that, falls? Yeah. Human <laughs> pyramid? No.
1: <laughs> so we're, we're getting pretty low on time. Let's go around the table here and have each person offer one piece of concrete advice for holiday party goers. I'll start first. Go to the party. Don't go to the after party. <laughs> <laughs> Denise,
0: um, I just think there's probably an unspoken etiquette in every office about the office party. Figure out what it is, um,
2: and you know, uh, if you choose not to follow it, you do it at your own risk. I would say um, it's probably fine to have a drink, but you should not go there with the intent of having that drink be the thing that loosens you up, and because you are then at risk of having more drinks than you probably should. And that, in and of itself, is going to be an enormous problem when you do something that you regret. I love what Denise said. Nobody wakes up the next morning and says, wow, I am so proud of how many shots I did last night. <laughs>
3: Go, say hello, make your rounds, have a drink, limit your drinking, and then go home.
2: (laughs) That all sounds really good. Well, that's a wrap for today's show. Thank you all so much for joining us. If you missed any of the last hour, check it out on demand on the SiriusXM app. And be sure to follow our channel on Twitter at SXM Business.
0: For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.